This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me is Perry Seibert, because we just decided on the topic five seconds ago, and I don't have a clever introduction for him, um, but he doesn't need one. He's Perry Seibert, and uh, welcome to the show again, Perry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. so nice to be back. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, all all is well. Trying to settle into a weird fall movie season where there is no Oscar buzz. No, it's, <laughs> I was I was talking to my wife, and actually, I want to toss this out to you because she didn't she didn't think I, I guess to use a non a word to describe non critics she didn't think normal people uh, had this thought. But I was telling her, I'm like, it's really weird that there wasn't a summer movie season, and, and her response was. I don't p- think people think about things like that, but, <laughs> but I, I, you know, there was not a normal summer movie season this year, and there's not going to be a normal Christmas movie season this no. year. No, um, there's not. This is about the time of year when we would be signing up for Detroit Film Critics Society, and I don't think that's going to end up happening until early 2021. I don't see how they're going to send any screeners out until early 2021 to coincide with the Oscars. So we're going to be doing top 10 lists in March. I don't, I have little faith they'll be in Oscars. I, oh. I don't, I don't think this is going to happen. I have, at this point, I, you can change my mind, but I'm, how, how? Yeah. They're not going to be enough movies unless they are really willing to do it entirely on stuff that's going to be available on home for you to screen. It's not going to happen. And I think that might not be a bad idea. No, but, I, uh, uh, but I don't know that you'll, you'll convince the studios to go along with that. So, so we were talking right before uh, we started recording. I was telling you how much I, I find that the, uh, the actual movie watching experience has been more enjoyable lately because I'm not going to screenings of the latest Disney movie or something. I'm actually being sent, you know, the indie films that we'd normally have to pass over. I feel like I've just, (laughs) I've watched more enjoyable movies uh, just because that's all that's been available. And there's been some not enjoyable ones, but uh, I I like, I feel like there would be an opportunity if they did an Oscar this year, you would see some really interesting movies being up in discussion absolutely absolutely um, i gotta admit what i i don't miss the giant summer season i kind of miss i really like august because august is where they were like if you if your film comes out in january or february they assume everything every that you're terrible mm-hmm. they just assume it's a terrible movie that is being buried the stuff that comes out in august especially mid-August, mid or the second week of August, that's always we think this is okay, but we have no idea how to market this. And I like those films. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are films that people hate that come out in August because they don't fit nicely into some little thing. And uh, I, I think they're really... In, I, I, good stuff comes out, and I miss that. 
I, I don't miss the giant blockbusters, but I miss like the weird stuff that studios actually put some money on that they now they don't know what they have and they're hoping maybe somebody will see it. That's what I really miss. That's well, that's that's gone. Yeah, and there was always you know uh, Toronto Film Festival. You'd start seeing some of those movies start coming out mm-hmm. in September. Uh, yeah, there's none of that this year. Nope. Um, but yeah, it, it has been. Like, I've been watching some really fun stuff, some really enjoyable stuff. I've actually been, for the first time, been reviewing TV a little bit this year, uh, which has been, I, I've never had that opportunity before. And, um, I do want to say, I don't know how TV critics do it. Um, that is a lot to watch. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 we're kind of blessed that with movies, it's two hours and you're done. Um, I just watched seven episodes of Utopia. It's out by now. Uh, the Amazon show Utopia. Um, and I had to watch those in like a week. And I, that was a rough set in many, t- <laughs> in many moments. Um, I ended up liking the show, but it was one of those, it gets good five episodes in and, Holy cow. Slow build. Yeah, I don't know how you do that every week. Um, but we were talking. We had another topic we were going to discuss. It was kind of, I think we both kind of felt it was kind of a half-baked one right now, so we'll let it sit for a bit. Uh, and we thought we'd do another What We're Watching. We did that a few months ago, and that's always fun. I, I think we're both always watching some different things, and it would be fun to talk about for a little bit. So uh, what have you been watching, Perry? Uh, uh, you know, speaking of missing out on the summer blockbuster season, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was lucky enough to rip off the Disney plus password and passcode that my sister-in-law, uh, has cause she and another family that they're good friends with, uh, co-pay for it and they all share it. <laughs> they pass it along to me so that, uh, so that we could check out Mulan. Oh. I didn't have to pay the 30 bucks for Mulan. I watched Mulan. How was that? Uh, I will tell you this, as far as crass attempts by Disney to just cash in on their past, this is one of the least offensive. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was actually really kind of excited to see this because I really loved the, I, I thought the trailer was fantastic. The trailer was like, wow, did you really make a martial arts film? Like, did you, mm-hmm. <laughs> did you really go all out with this? And, uh, no, not quite. They did. But they didn't. They, it's very, it's, it's, it's still a Disney film, very much so. But that said, it is a Disney film that, uh, uh, is very comfortable having a, uh, having a, a very strong female lead and a very great female, uh, half villain. Uh, and I, I will confess, I have never seen the original. Neither have I. I went to see it in the theater when it came out. And it started, and for the first two minutes, there were there was a giant green streak running up the middle of the frame, and about third, and about and through like each third of the frame, and like it didn't go after two minutes, and I walked out and asked for my money back. I'm like, I don't want to watch this. You can't project the movie properly, <laughs> and I've never seen it, so I don't know if that character is in the original movie. I assume so. Um, there are shots of the yeah, there are shots in the movie that are just gorgeous. There are sweeping. You know, vistas of of China that are just, you know, great, old-fashioned, epic-looking filmmaking. Um, and sadly, that, <laughs> those bump up against interiors that look like they were there in a computer. 
They don't look real. The final, the final one-on-one fight looks like it could be a Mortal Kombat video game. Like it doesn't, it's not a real space. There's no sense, and it doesn't play with, it does not play with physics and weight the way that Crouching Tiger does. You know, it doesn't, it's not balletic. It's not pretty. (laughs) It's not graceful. It's just an action sequence. Um, I did not realize, because I didn't do my homework. Uh, do you know who directed this? Uh, it was the Whale Rider director, correct? Yes, Nikki Caro. Yes, yes. And that's, you know, if for no other reason than people then go out and check out Whale Rider again, I'm very happy this movie exists. <laughs> because they are very similar. It, you know, Whale, Whale Rider was a great, great, heroic, fairy tale tinged tale of a, of a, of a 13 year old girl or 12 year old girl coming of age. Uh, and learning to learning to be her own woman, and that's uh, that's a great. It's a great film. It's a really great film that uh, you know, like so many films, got wonderful buzz at the time, and uh, nobody talks about it anymore. I had forgotten about it. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about it, um, and so you know, it's 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 uh, it is it is a disappointment compared to what I was hoping it would be, but the fact that it's not a musical at mm. all. Um, that they, I wish they respected the traditions of the martial arts film just a little more. I wish they played into the genre a little more. I think it would have been better for the film. Um, like, uh, like, I, I, and I know this is a ridiculous thing for a critic to say, like Kung Fu Panda 2 did. <laughs> I love Kung Fu Panda 2, and I, I know what I you're do saying too. that, yes. I do too. It's a great movie. Yes. <laughs> I like the first one a bunch too. But the second one really, the second one is a more cinematic experience than the first. And the first one is incredibly likable and enjoyable and, and does follow the strictures of the martial arts film really closely. Uh, it's not that good. So I guess it's, I guess it's the right amount of praise to most <laughs> human beings to say Mulan isn't as good as Kung Fu Panda 2. How's that for an end note? I, I will say, there are a lot of films that are not as good as Kung Fu Panda too. I, I quite exactly. enjoy that. Um, but exactly. you, you have me intrigued and a little interested in checking out Mulan. Um, I, I saw the previews and thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, is this going to be, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for kids? Which I would be, I would be lining my kids up in front of the TV at that moment and saying, watch this, because then we're going to watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon because uh, those, that's just a gorgeous movie, and I wish we had more martial arts films, period. Um, one of the joys that I had on the Criterion channel this summer was watching Police Story, which a uh, little I different, little different, but I, I did, I, I missed that. Just, just watching hand-to-hand combat like that, watching that display of uh, physical feats, it's just so much fun. Um, but I was really intrigued by Mulan because I've seen pretty much all of these Disney live action reboots of their animated stuff. And the thing I hate about all of them is they find a way to make a very beautiful looking movie, very ugly. And they are just like photocopies. They follow the movie to a T and Mulan didn't look like it was going to do that. It looked very uh, striking in the, in the trailers and the fact that they were getting rid of the musical and the talking dragon and everything. I was interested. I'm like, Oh, is this going to be, one of the ones where they're able to kind of play around a bit. So I think when that comes to Disney Plus in December, we will definitely check it out. I haven't seen Mulan, but my wife loves the animated one. So um, 
Yeah, I, I, I still feel paying $30 to watch a movie on a service I already pay $6 a month for. I, yeah. I feel a little icky doing that, but I have a feeling that's going to happen a lot more in the coming months. Um, I, I have a feeling Pixar is going to, the next Pixar one's going to get that treatment and Marvel will probably find a way if they can figure out a way to make a profit on that to do that. I, I, yeah, I think that that's, uh, I think that's how you're going to see Black Widow. Yeah, uh, that I mean, that whole system is based on the fact that the next movie comes out and you need the previous one fresh in your mind to get excited about it. Um, it it's such a such a industry at this point that I feel like to miss Black Widow, then their whole dominoes fall. So it's just, you know, saves the rest of the Marvel movies for them to toss it up there and be like, oh, it's the prequel to Falcon and Winter Soldier. <laughs> It's, but to to be fair, who knows? This really, by by Disney's own reporting, seriously underperformed what they were hoping. And not, you know, I mean, it's the, yeah, over a million people still paid thirty dollars for it. But that's, you know, <laughs> that's, if it, if it had a thirty five million dollar opening weekend at the box office, people would have said ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and so, who knows if this is actually a viable thing for them or not, or whether they're going to have to figure out a different way to do this. Oh, poor Disney, always, always the upstart on that. Always, <laughs> always in trouble for money. It's, it's sad. Um, I do want to talk about a movie that I paid twenty five dollars to see. Uh, that I want to talk about because in a previous episode I made fun of its very existence, um, and I ended up really enjoying it. And it's Bill and Ted Face the Music, <laughs> which is. As the title says, it is the next Bill and Ted movie about 30 years after the last Bill and Ted movie. Um, uh-huh. but oh my gosh, did I have fun with this? Um, this is, this is one of those reboots that actually kind of leans into the fact that, hey, it's 30 years later and it's kind of sad for two guys to be doing that still. Um, it is Bill and Ted finding out that they've reached their forties and have not, made the song that will reunite humanity and end all wars. So they have 90 minutes to travel and steal it from their future selves with time travel shenanigans that, uh, that don't make any sense. And their daughters decide to go into the past and recruit a band of famous musicians. And there is a robot that is sent through time to kill Bill and Ted, uh, who is played delightfully by Anthony Kerrigan. And I mean, this is a Bill and Ted movie and, I like Bill and Ted movies, and this one made me smile. That's what I didn't expect. Um, I had hoped it would make me laugh. This is a movie that is just so, it's just so good hearted. Um, there, there is such a rapport between Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves that they still have all these years later that they just, they're good guys. They just want to be good to be, be excellent to each other and have some fun. And that's just the vibe of the movie. It's a very, kind-hearted movie um and it has this theme that maybe the heroes who we're trying to pass along to our kids aren't the real heroes maybe maybe it is the next generation who we just need to start giving things over to and things are going to be better if we all just start kind of doing this together um that makes it sound like a much deeper movie than it is uh this is a movie that has death cheating at playing hopscotch with himself um I, I don't know. Like, this is a movie that I, I enjoyed much more than I thought I would because it's the very unpretentious thing that the other two movies were. I, uh, 
I quite enjoyed this. I, I don't know if I could defend it as a good movie, but it was the good-hearted thing I needed right now. Then that's good. I'm yes. glad that it. I'm glad that it filled that spot for you. I, I have. I you. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'll never watch it, but I have zero interest. <laughs> I just. I don't have that much affection for the first two films. I think they're both fine. Uh, I, I don't hate them. I, I every time I, I, the, the three times in my life I have I have revisited Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I have the exact same reaction, which is there's about twenty minutes of good stuff here. <laughs> and uh, uh you know i enjoyed the bergman spoof in the second one and that's about all i care about in that one and that's that's what i'm left with i figure there's probably 20 minutes worth of good material in this one that might be about right i i will say it is worth seeing for anthony kerrigan um i love him on barry and he uh he plays a homicidal robot who is also plagued by self-doubt that is it made me laugh with every line he had. It, those were the genuine <laughs>, laughs I had. Um, the rest was just a good feeling. And it's very possible that had this been released any other summer but this summer, I'd feel even differently about it. But uh, it, it felt good to watch it in a summer where everything's going to hell. It matters when you see films. It matters what's yep. going on in your life. It really does. Yep. What else have you been watching, Perry? Uh, so, uh, those, those familiar with the Criterion channel will know that every Friday night there's a programmed double feature mm -hmm. that, uh, two films that are linked somehow. And I very rarely, I have a couple times in the past sat down specifically to watch it. Um, I don't often cause they're films that are there anyway. So I don't know that I'm necessarily going to sit down and watch these films in comparison, but a couple weeks ago, they put up a double feature of Bob Fosse's Lenny. And Richard Pryor's Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. Oh. And I will, uh, I had not seen Lenny since I was in college and I saw it on TV then. And I didn't, it's possible I didn't even see the end of Lenny. I was unsure. Like I, I started to watch it and I was like, I remembered this. Uh, and I had never seen Jojo Dancer, uh, and had always kind of wanted to. And so I sat down and watched them both, uh, over the course of that weekend, not back to back. But Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> and, um, Lenny is, uh, Lenny is, Lenny doesn't work. Lenny's not a good movie. It's not terrible, but it's not good. It's not Lenny Bruce. <laughs> it is, uh, that's not to say that Dustin Hoffman doesn't give a really interesting performance, but it's, it's, it's not funny. And Lenny Bruce was funny. Uh, this movie takes for granted that you already think Lenny Bruce is funny and doesn't do the work in making you learn that he was funny. It just wants to, Fosse's interested in, you know, in, in, as he always is, the dark side of show business here. And as a, to see it, you should see it as a warm up for a film we've done a whole episode on, all that jazz, mm -hmm. which is what it is. It is, you, you realize he, he's not, he realized he can't work through his show business stuff through somebody else's show business career. So he went and did his own and made one of the greatest films of all time. So it's certainly interesting for all of those reasons to check it out. I just don't care for the film that much in and of itself. Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling is a really interesting movie. Uh, if for no other reason, then it is that really rare thing of where an artist whose primary medium is not filmmaking is trying to make art. And that's always interesting to me. I like it. Uh, we were talking, uh, we were talking 
before this show started recording about uh, Miranda July's new movie. And I like her for many of those same reasons. I think she's not a filmmaker by instinct. It's just another art form and she's an artist. And so I think those are the people that play with, with film in really interesting ways. And Jojo Dancer is fascinating in this capacity <laughs> because it does not, there's, there is no structure at all. It can't even commit to the conceit uh, that it starts with, which is uh, Richard Pryor plays a character named Jojo Dancer, who is basically Richard Pryor, who uh, has a horrific accident at the beginning of the movie. All of you who know Richard Pryor's life know he blew himself up, freebasing <laughs> cocaine. This is where the movie begins. And uh, as he's in the emergency room uh, being worked on, his spirit pulls out of his body uh, and starts talking to him and says and it's basically leading him through uh, the history of his life. <laughs> but it's like, they don't keep with this conceit. Like this, this spirit disappears and returns throughout the movie for no logical reason. There's, there's no internal moment where it's like, Oh, he should be back now to explain what is going on. He's not some like wise ghost of Christmas future and past or anything. He just kind of shows up when they remember, Oh yeah, we're kind of doing this. And so it, it's, it's formless and weird in that way. But as a, as an expression of, of, of autobiography, it's true. It is, it is a, it is a, it is a pure expression of Richard Pryor, which makes it interesting. And for me, I, Pryor is such a fascinating figure because, I mean, I, I, he was a good actor. He could act. Most stand-ups can't. Most stand-ups, mm. uh, you know, you build up. Stand-up is about building up a, 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 a persona and a defense to the audience. You don't open up, and actors have to open up and reveal. And Pryor wasn't a perfect actor, but he could be very good. And there are that that is laid bare throughout this movie, where there are sequences. If you pulled out any single sequence in it. You'd go, that's a really good performance. But watching it all together, you're like, those are a bunch of really good moments. <laughs> it doesn't hold together. It's not, you know, he doesn't have this, he does not turn Jojo into a character with an arc that you can follow and become entranced by. But there are moments that are, that really work and they work in very unconventional ways. He's not a master of the camera. <laughs> this is this is as close to a just a naked expression of self as as he's going to be able to get in the movie form, and that's interesting because that's what his best stand up was. Mm -hmm. And I had the uh, a few, boy, it was a couple years ago, I think at this point. Netflix had a special of his from like 1974, I want to say that I had never seen. That is truly him recorded in like, he's at, you know, there weren't comedy clubs then, really. He's just, at, it looks like he's at a bar. Like, oh, wow. Not, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he's not, he's not, there's not a curtain behind him. There's not a brick wall behind him. And he's in like a denim jacket and he's telling really horrible stories. Uh, and it's, it is the prior that I'd always read about, but had never seen. I, I'm I'm so used to the prior of Live in the Sunset Strip and the stuff that and here and now, and this was like 
the this was I, raw is such a weird word to use, and it, I think it implies things I don't mean. But just an unvarnished Richard Pryor, who was who could make really horrific things incredibly funny, uh, and really wrestles with very personal and deep stuff in that in that stand up special. And I, I have been trying to pay attention to Pryor again ever since catching that a couple years ago. Because as someone who loves stand-up comedy, Pryor was always just like, it, it's, 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 I, I completely respect and understand his history and know how important a figure he is, but the material itself is always just, I, you know, there are others I like a lot more <laughs> that, that go on my Mount Rushmore. Uh, and it was fascinating to watch to watch him. He's, he's an artist, and to watch an artist use the art form not to at its best but in a way nobody else would have thought to to tell a really personal story it's a really interesting piece of autobiography it's not a good film (laughs) i want to be real clear about this but it's you know a a good film wouldn't be as powerful as the as the best moments in this are sometimes any sense at all yeah and i think sometimes the messy films are the ones that are really intriguing it's when you can pull something out of a mess that that really is kind of fascinating and again like lenny it's not funny but it's not supposed i mean there are a couple of laughs to be sure but it's not funny it is he is he is dealing with pain and interestingly plays him you know as soon as he's you know 20 in the movie he's playing himself and it's remarkable how well he can do that. <laughs> it's, 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 there's some really interesting, the timeline's a complete mess. This is not, this is not fact. This is memoir on film. Okay. <laughs> Let's be real clear about that. But it's, I can't, I cannot think of another film quite like it. Other than maybe all that jazz, which is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> That that still stands up as one of the ones I am most thankful I saw for doing this podcast. Uh, Yay. I, I, I love all that jazz, and I will have to uh, get myself a copy of that one day. Um, yeah, I have a bone to pick with the Criterion Collection, though, this month. Um, so the last few DVDs I bought over the last course of the last year were uh, Albert Brooks's Lost in America, mm-hmm. Richard Linklater's Boyhood, uh huh. And I tracked down a copy of Corpus Christi, which I have not watched yet. All three are on Criterion Channel. On the channel. Month. Yep. Yes, they are. So, um, I, I mean, the two of the three that I've seen, I am happy to own. But, uh, <laughs> it was like, were, were they just tracking my purchases and trolling me? Um, but, uh, I just thought that was a little bit funny. And um, they won't stay. So it's a good thing. Yeah. Always, we always want physical products. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, few years ago got rid of a bunch of simpsons dvds and old dvds that i had we had a garage sale because my thinking was oh we have amazon we have netflix we don't need the physical and oh my gosh was that the worst decision i ever made um yep even those simpsons that are on disney are not going to be there forever or be in the correct aspect ratio you only regret the dvds you don't buy yep yep Um, speaking of regret, uh, I do want to talk, we, we talk mostly about movies we've liked, um, but I did want to say that I saw an awful movie, uh, that, uh, I just kind of wanted to exercise the demon of it. Um, I saw Antebellum. Oh, I watched you going back and forth with some people online about this. I still oh. have not seen it. Please tell me more. Yes, Antebellum is, uh, stars Janelle Monae. Uh, she 
starts off the movie playing a um, woman named Eden, who is a slave on a southern plantation. Um, about 30 minutes into the movie, there's a shift, and Janelle Monet also plays a modern-day woman um, who's kind of an academic, and she talks about, like, uh, racial intersection and things like that. Um, and so the whole movie is kind of this horror story thriller about how are the two connected. And Perry, I just gotta say, there are some movies where you just cannot make the twist work and make the movie work. Um, when, and that happens when the movie is just the twist. Um, this is a movie that has, it thinks it has a giant reveal right in the center. But if you're paying attention, you pick it out five minutes in. <laughs> and the way the film is structured to keep you guessing means they basically flop the second and first act almost. Like, it it feels like they film the movie narratively or put it together narratively from beginning to end and then decided, oh, that's too obvious. Let's just reverse the first and second act. But the problem is then you have the second act of people you don't care about that opens the movie but then you have this middle half of the movie that is literally just setting up mysteries you've already figured out (laughs) and it is just such a such a disappointment of a movie this is by the producers of get out uh which is a movie i really like and this is as if someone saw get out and said what if we do that but there was no subtext and it was just the most obvious take on racism we could come up with. Um, <laughs> it, it is, it, it is get out by way of the village. If you take the village's ending and just make it 10 times dumber. Apparently all the subtext went to us. Yes. Cause that's <laughs> a film that's just subtext. Yes. There's that's no text there. So yeah. Yeah. It, this was, oh, I just had to exercise this. This was a, this is a movie that just it, it becomes offensive because it it feels like it wants to you to think it's saying something important, but it's so empty and not interested in saying anything about the racial themes it's bringing up. It just it's an exploitation movie that wants you to think it's classier than that, and it it, it is not that. Uh, Janelle Monet is very good in it, um, but this is just an ugly, boring movie. Um, I believe you. Yes, it, it, it's bad. <laughs> it, it's pretty bad. Um, but one that I will, I, I, I saw two documentaries that I, I'll, I'll kind of end on. Um, and they're both very different documentaries, but I saw them both so I can talk about them both. Uh, the first is on HBO Max. It is Class Action Park. Um, have you heard I've of this? Heard or about seen this? this. Yes. Okay. And I remember the actual, I remember the real story. Okay. Class Action Park was kind of an ad hoc water park theme park in New Jersey that everything's legal in New Jersey. (laughs) Uh, Have you seen Hamilton on Disney yet? Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah, it it is. It is a water park that is so dangerous, so thrown together with gum and string and spit (laughs) that when Johnny Knoxville made a movie inspired by it, the movie w- could not get an audience because it could not live up to the actual hell that Action Park really was. Um, 
the documentary goes through like i knew a lot about it beforehand i had seen short documentaries on it but class action park is just kind of an overview of how many people got hurt how few people really cared about that um and it's kind of for the first hour just this breezy little can you believe they had a water slide that went upside down and people would be paid a hundred dollars to go on it to test it out um (laughs) But then it, it really takes kind of a turn in the back half to talk about actual deaths at the park and an actual human cost that came from it. And I found that very moving, very, uh, it, it kind of puts it into a tonal whiplash because it ends with about five minutes of people still going like, can you believe this existed? But, uh, it, it was a fascinating, uh, look at this place and it, it it's one of those things you just, you can't believe a place this crazy existed, and yet it did. And it, it, this whole idea of in the 80s, were kids running around a little bit looser, were people a little more lax on safety? I don't know that it makes that point, but uh, it, it, it it's a fascinating look at how we just sometimes don't care as long as we're having fun. Um, and real people got hurt by it. It was a park so bonkers that uh donald trump considered investing in it and said "Ah, oh, no it's so a little out there <laughs> um so that is class action park i i found this very it's very entertaining but like i said it's also very sobering and just kind of makes you uh make, makes you think about you know what the hell was going on behind the people who would let something like this happen and what kind of greed allows people to work the other way look the other way on that um but the other documentary I saw was uh, The Way I See It. Uh, this is, I believe... Oh, yeah. This, I, yeah. Pete D'Souza, right? Pete D'Souza. Um, this is, I believe it hit a few theaters in late September. Um, as this episode comes out, I believe it's hitting, I want to say it's Apple Plus TV. Um, and this is, this follows Pete D'Souza, who was, Pete Souza, who was... Uh, Pete he, D'Souza, right. Sorry. <laughs> He was the uh, a photographer for both the Reagan administration and the Obama administration. And he's kind of made a name for himself in recent years by posting photos he took during Obama's administration and using them to troll President Trump. And the movie kind of delves into that, too, um, in a way that I didn't think was necessary, because just seeing the photos and the moments he captures between you know, President Obama and Michelle and his his daughter. So the human moments, like right before he's going to talk uh, and address the Sandy Hook shooting or moments, you know, right after his uh, inauguration, just these moments of passion and emotion. Just seeing those is enough to remind you, oh, we've we've lost something in our current political climate. Like <laughs> there is something missing and you almost don't need to mention the current uh, residents of the White House at all to make that point. Um, I had never really thought about the photos I see from the White House um, and the role that the photographer plays in documenting history. But it's really fascinating as when he talks about what he's on the lookout for when he's taking photos and how you can take 10,000 rolls, you know, 10,000 photos in a year and maybe 10 of those are going to see the light of day and those are going to shape people's perceptions of history and the presidents and how certain presidents were a little more canny about letting the photographers in and letting the uh, American people see them in more candid moments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating. The, the photos alone are, 
are worth a reason to watch it. But it just, I, I don't know. Like, I, we don't really get into politics on this podcast because it's a movie podcast, but, uh, it really, you watch it and you walk away just kind of being like, oh, we've lost something really human, um, amongst all the politics. There is just something human that is lacking in our, our current administration, for lack of a better word. And, uh, yeah, this, this movie's, uh, really, really solid view for that. Um, and, uh, if nothing else, you, you kind of get to see the humanity, uh, of the Obamas, uh, and just their choices in what they would allow the photographer to capture or who they'd let into their circle. Uh, it, it's really worth a look. I believe it. I am, I was intrigued by this and, and would give it a look. I, I perused his book, uh, at the library. I didn't, I didn't check it out. I didn't read it in full, but I, I, I skimmed through it and looked at some of the pictures and he's, he was everywhere when that book came out. Uh, so I listened to many an interview with him and yeah, that his, I, 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 I really hate Twitter, but he's doing it right. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he's figured out how to make Instagram political, which was always, you know, my re- Instagram was my refuge for, uh, no politics, but yeah, he does it. Like you said, he does it right. He doesn't. It's not nasty, and it, it makes a strong point. When you have those visuals to back up your point, it sure. says a lot. And, um, yeah, it, as the journalist in me really loved uh, hearing him talk about the photojournalism side of it. But um, also, yeah, there's just there's a humanity to it that uh, was refreshing and left me kind of wistful. Um, so that is that is on Apple TV Plus right now, I believe, and it's it's well worth checking out uh, if you pay for Apple TV Plus. You might be able to get through iTunes as well. All right. So I believe that brings us to the end. Uh, not bad for throwing us together at the last minute. I like our work. I, yeah, I, I think uh, <laughs> we, we deserve the night off now. So, Perry, before we go, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. Yes, I'm on it, even though I hate it. You can find me at Facebook uh, at Perry Sniper. You can hear me every Friday morning at 1290 a.m. on the Lucy and Show. And I believe, although it hasn't been recorded yet, by the time this airs, Chris, and I'm sure I will shamelessly plug this on all our various <laughs> social media sites, uh, I will be doing a very special episode of Cathode Ray Mission uh, in which it's it's basically... The, the entire, the entire reason of my existence has been to prepare for this episode where we are, uh, we are going to do three hours plus on the entire filmography of Martin Scorsese. Oh, nice. Uh, which I am eager to lose my voice over. <laughs> You're not keeping <laughs> that, that to three hours be, either. That should be readily available by the time, nice. uh, by the time this actually airs. And so I'm super excited about, uh, about getting to do that. Very nice. I look forward to listening to that. There's no way you're keeping that to three hours. Probably not, but we managed, <laughs> we managed to do the Coens in two, so maybe. You can't have it be longer than his longest movie, though, and uh, Irishman is what, three and a half? <laughs> three and a half. I guess that's a reasonable cap. There, there I'll go. talk to Adam about that. Yes, that's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well at Mere Christianity. Um, I do a, uh, another podcast called Cross Culture Critic that comes out about monthly. Um, and we talk about faith and, uh, film and TV and comic books and all that fun stuff. Uh, and you can follow my newsletter, Criticisms, and it's on Substack. I'll put that in the show notes. That's a good way to kind of keep track of any writing I have and things like that. So we'll be back in a few weeks.